Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Lovely to be here this morning. It's, it feels weird to be back up on stage. Murray, you did very well. Where are you, Murray? The back, last two weeks. Excellent. Thank you for that. And today we continue our series of reflecting on the cross in the Gospels. And so Murray's led us through the Gospel of Mark and last week through Matthew. Now, Matthew's focus in particular is how Jesus is the fulfillment. So Matthew will have different prophecies and show this is how Jesus fulfilled this different prophecy. So Luke, it's a bit different. Matthew is written for a Jewish audience. Luke is written for a Gentile audience. But that doesn't mean Luke isn't interested in the Old Testament. See, Luke sees Jesus as continuing Israel's story. Now, as you like to know, I like to teach you guys some nerdy facts. And the word of today is, actually, if you're a music student, you should know this, recapitulation. Recapitulation. Say that at dinner party. Say at church. I learned about recapitulation. Now, what is recapitulation? It's basically repeating. And in the Bible, there are themes that come up again and again and again. Those who have ears, or in our case, eyes to read this, you'll start to notice these themes come up again and again and again. And one of them that Luke really taps into is this idea of a chosen son. Now, in the Old Testament, there are a number of women who are barren and they have a special child. And that child does something great for Israel. Now, Luke begins his gospel with a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is barren. She can't have children. What happens? She falls pregnant and the son she has is John the Baptist. Now, at the same time too, while Elizabeth is pregnant with um, John the Baptist, her cousin Mary, as we all know, the story at Christmas, Mary falls pregnant with Jesus. And so what Luke is doing is he's trying to make us think, hey, all these times throughout the Old Testament when a woman who was barren slash has this unusual pregnancy, the child they bring is going to do something unusual. And what Luke does is he gives us this song this song of Mary. Now, here's a hot tip for all you Bible readers. If you open up a a narrative in Scripture and it has a song in it, that song is hinting at the themes that are to come. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 1 from verse 52, this is part of Mary's song. And Mary says here, she says here, he, that's God, has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." Now, what's a theme that you notice in that song? I'll read it out again. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. What's Mary talking about? Someone be brave and sing out. What's the theme she's talking about? Come on, don't be shy, don't bite. I'll read out again. Brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. The hungry are now filled. What's she talking about? That Jesus? Kind of. Talking about reversal. She's talking about the reversal in situations. Now, if you are on thrones, you assume that you are going to remain on your throne. If you are hungry, there is this assumption that you're going to be hungry ongoing. What Mary is saying is God has bought this salvation. Now he's going to bring a reversal. And Mary is actually riffing off Hannah. Now, if you know Hannah in the Old Testament, Hannah was a barren woman. Hannah was the mother of the great prophet Samuel. And in fact, in her song at the beginning of Samuel, she talks about the very same themes. The humble being lifted up, the exalted falling down. This is what Luke is trying to make us see, is that Jesus here is bringing a change in status. Those who think they're proud, those who think they are the best, they're going to be brought down low. And, and this reversal theme, it comes up time and time again throughout Luke. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, when he goes to the tabernacle, that the synagogue that morning, and he reads from Scripture, he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, he says here, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the theme that Luke wants us to understand. Jesus come to bring this change, this change in status for people. So those who are hungry are fed. Those who are prisoners are freed. Those who are lowly are exalted. Jesus here is referring to this concept in Judaism called the Jubilee. Every 50 years, all your debts were wiped away. Jesus come to bring the true Jubilee. He's come to bring freedom for people. Now, Luke is a master writer. And if you have eyes now, now that I'm going to teach you this, hopefully you'll be able to see it. What Luke does is he presents us with pairs throughout Scripture. Those who think that they're insiders, but in reality are outsiders, and those who are outsiders who now become insiders. And so I'll go through the list that he has here in his Gospels. He's starting off with Simon the Pharisee and the woman who anoints Jesus. That's in Luke chapter 7. Simon the Pharisee, he thinks he's a Pharisee. I'm right with God. I know who I am. I'm, you know, I follow Torah very well. I am an insider. But in reality, it's the woman who anoints Jesus of oil. She's a sinful woman. The reality is she is the insider. This is part of that Mary song of the humble being exalted. Another example, <laughs> the classic, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, we all know Samaritans are good people now, 
But back in the day in Judaism, Samaritans were seen as just disgusting. In fact, the ultimate insult you could give for a fellow Jew, you're a Samaritan. In fact, that's what the Pharisees said to Jesus. You're demon-possessed and a Samaritan. And Jesus, the hero of the story, it's the Samaritan, not the Levite or the priest. So Jesus himself is hinting at that. Another one too, the prodigal son, the classic parable. We all assume that the older brother, he's the one that's been righteous. He's the one who should get all the favor. But in reality, it's the younger son. And what Jesus is trying to teach is that all the religious leaders who thought that their Torah obedience would get them into the kingdom, uh -uh -uh -uh. it's actually the youngest son, the one who actually shows repentance. He is the one to enter. Another parable, Lazarus and the rich man. The assumption was if you were wealthy, you were blessed by Yahweh. God had blessed you. If you were poor, you are a sinner. Jesus flips the narrative. It's Lazarus, the poor man. He is the one who enters into Abraham's bosom, i.e. heaven. It's the rich man who goes to Hades or hell. There's, nine, there's another time where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Nine of them are Jews. They don't come back. The 10th, he is a Samaritan that shows gratefulness to Jesus. And it goes on and on and on. You're starting to see this theme coming up. And the last one in Luke's gospel, criminal on the cross. That's kind of going to be the focus on today. As Jesus is hanging there and he's got criminal on his right and on his left, those in the crowd, they are the righteous. I use that in inverted commas. They're the Pharisees. They're, they're the ones, the religious leaders, the priests. You think they're the insiders. But the reality is this criminal on the cross he is the one who is truly the insider. He is the one to enter into paradise with Jesus. So I'm going to read, this is Luke's account of the crucifixion. So Luke chapter 23 from verse 26. I'll give you a moment to flick that open if you want to read along. So Luke chapter 23 from verse 26. It says here, As the soldiers led him away, they see Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king 
of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Powerful, powerful words. You can read it so many times at Easter and just sort of go, oh yeah, that's kind of nice. Jesus died for us. But it's just this amazing account that Luke presents us. And as we've been looking at the different Gospels, Matthew and Mark are basically identical. Matthew sort of riffed off Mark, his crucifixion narrative. And what Mark does is he presents us a Jesus who is lonely, who is progressively isolated. Everyone gives up on him. Now, Luke takes those very same events, but he frames it in a different way. He frames it in a way that Jesus is Savior. Now, Mark and Matthew aren't wrong, but what Luke is trying to do, he's trying to tap into those themes, all the way back from Mary's song about the lowly being exalted, about those who are outsiders becoming insiders, that Jesus here, he gives himself up. But even as he's giving himself up, he cares for those around him. And what's really interesting, and we won't have time to read it, but you can look at it later. If you compare Mark chapter 14 and Luke chapter 22, when Jesus is arrested, Mark tells us that the servant's ear is cut off and then disciples flee. What Luke does is he tells us the servant's ear is cut off and Jesus heals him. Very, very deliberate. What Luke is doing, he's showing that Jesus is saviour. Mark is trying to show us Jesus is isolated. Mark mentions the disciples flee. Luke doesn't mention that. Mark presents the crowds as being completely hostile to Jesus. Luke doesn't. He actually shows us there's people there who care about Jesus. And in fact, as Jesus is walking up we encounter here, the only time in the Gospels, he meets these women. And he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. And this way, it's this odd way of bringing comfort to them. He's like, don't cry for yourselves. I am doing my Father's will. Jesus prayed this, not, not my will, but yours be done. Cry for yourselves. Because something terrible is going to happen to Jerusalem. Jerusalem herself is going to be annihilated. In 70 AD, this happened. The Romans came in, destroyed everything. Jesus saying, get ready. Get ready because something terrible is going to happen. More terrible to you than my death right now. And Jesus flips the narrative. Those who would consider to be barren, a curse, is actually a blessing in the time of judgment. This is what gets tricky when Jesus gives us prophecy. He sort of has a short-term focus, 
Jerusalem's full, but there's a long-term focus. Get ready for it. And he quotes here from Hosea 10, 8, about the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us. So that's how terrible it's going to be. That's a way of saying repent and get ready for the destruction to come. When Jesus is nailed to the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22, verse 1, and Mark, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whereas Luke, very, very different. What's Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Same events, all happened. Luke's giving us a different focus on it. Jesus as Saviour. In fact, Luke, the master writer, he's still referring to Psalm 22 for those who know their Old Testament. They would know after Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The next sentence, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Psalm 22, 18 talks about that. So it's in the same way. Yeah, these events are all fulfilling prophecy, scripture, but we're reframing them in a different lens. Um, as Jesus is being mocked, we're told the soldiers offer, offered him wine vinegar. And if they said, you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Again, another reference to Psalm, to the book of Psalms. Psalm 69, verse 21. David here in his lament, he says, they put gall in my food and give me vinegar for my thirst. Now, okay, now they're very... I guess negative psalm, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, when David's in distress. But can anyone guess how the psalm ends? Anyone know how these psalms of lament end? Do they end negative or do they end on a positive? Which is it? Yeah, praising God. Okay, this is one of the things that when, when you see a quote from the Old Testament, the New Testament, the, the New Testament authors are expecting you to kind of have the whole background. So say for the psalm and you lift one part of the psalm, you're not meant to just think about that one part, but the whole psalm. See, so yeah, at this moment, this is negative and it's terrible. But guess what? Something greater is going to come. In fact, I love the end of Psalm 69. So David there is talking about how his, his enemies are putting gall in his food and vinegar to make him thirst. But after all of that, he calls on heaven and earth to praise God. Friends, that's what we're meant to look at in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of pain. Yeah, it really sucks right now. But guess what? God will exalt the lowly. Those who are humble, he will raise up. Those who are proud will be brought down. And then my absolute favorite part in this account is the criminal, the outsider who becomes the insider. And he says here, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All good Jews, except for the Sadducees, they believed in the resurrection. Now, this criminal, we don't know what he's done. He's some sort of terrorist, some sort of brigand. 
but he would know his Hebrew Bible. And he knows that if Jesus is the Messiah, one day he will be resurrected. And this call to remember is that, okay, I'm going to go down into the dirt. I'm going to be buried. On that day when you come back, resurrect me. Don't forget about my body being there. Now, that's what he wants. Just, that's, that's all he wants is just on that day, I want to be resurrected. Jesus does one better. Something totally unexpected. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Just amazing. Absolutely phenomenal. For us, we're like, we're like oh, okay, cool. And he's talking about going to heaven. This is new language in the new covenant. Um, death in the Old Testament, all people just went to a place called Sheol. The, the Jews, all the ancients had this view of heaven, earth, under the earth. Everyone went to a place called Sheol. That's where the dead went, good, bad. And your hope was that you would come out of Sheol one day. What Jesus is saying, you're going to come into heaven, into Eden itself. This word paradise, it's paradiso in Greek. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, paradiso was used to describe Eden. Jesus is saying, you're going to come with me today. Not tomorrow, not at the end times, but today you're going to be with me in heaven. And then while you're waiting there, you're going to be resurrected one day. The ultimate fulfillment of Mary's song, the lowly, the hungry, the naked, being lifted up. So unlike Mark, who's presenting Jesus right, rightfully, as Isaiah 53, this suffering servant, this lonely man who's crucified next to criminals, Luke is saying Jesus is always saviour. Jesus is always about having the outsider becoming the insider. And even on the cross, he's doing that. He provides his strange comfort slash warning to the women. Instead of crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's offering forgiveness. He offers forgiveness to that criminal next to him. That assurance of hope. And even with Jesus' death, instead of crying out like in Mark, this lonely cry, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Quoting from the book of Psalms once more. This sign of victory. Now, in the last few days I've been reading about the war in the Ukraine. And look, you'd have to be pretty hard-hearted to see images and stories of civilians being killed, of war crimes of massacres. And for me, it makes me angry. There's just this deep sense of anger. I don't know if you sense that. Some people maybe get teary, but I just have this white-hot fury. And it's this fury of, like, you want these people to be punished. Like, God, do something right now. Why is there still evil and suffering in this world? And this is what's so powerful about the cross is, for us here as Westerners who live in a really comfy lifestyle, we don't know the pain of war. 
Yeah, sure, we think about Easter and the cross each year. But think about those Russians who are committing war crimes right now. Think of Vikings who centuries past just raised down villages. We can think of terrible, terrible atrocities that have happened. And you think about Jesus. Why he has been crucified, what's he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, it's sort of, I, because I've never committed a war crime, or anything that terrible really to go to prison, it's kind of easy to go, oh, I'm such a terrible sinner, God forgive me, yeah, I'm in the club. We kind of like the idea of God forgiving little sins, don't we? Yeah, forgiving a bit of lying, a bit of stealing, a bit of idolatry, we're happy with that. But these horrific crimes, we can, we can wrestle with that. And here is what Luke is doing, is he's showing us here on the cross when horrific atrocities are happening to Jesus himself, he still offers forgiveness. This is the scandal of the cross. It sounds really nice to say, outsiders are insiders. Like, yeah, 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 that, that, that suits us. But it depends on the type of outsider. And Jesus saying it's, well, Luke is saying about Jesus that any outsider is now an insider. All three of the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, finish off with, after Jesus' death, the centurion, seeing what happened, praising God, saying, surely this was a righteous man. Talk about an outsider, a centurion, part of the enemy Roman Empire. One of the guys that was there killing Jesus, that declaration, it must have been so significant that three of the gospel writers announce it. This guy saw something about Jesus. He wanted to become an insider. If you ever get the chance, I encourage you all to read theologian Miroslav Volf. That's Miroslav Volf. Phenomenal, phenomenal man. He is a Croatian, and he, after a lecture in, in well, actually, I should take a step back. In his opening of his book, in Exclusion and Embrace, he finished a lecture about forgiveness. And the famous German theologian, um, Jürgen Moltzmann, came up to him and said, but can you embrace a centenic? Now, for those who don't know, I read here from, from um, Miroslav, it says, it was the winter of 1993. For months now, the notorious Serbian fighters called Sednik had been sowing desolation in my native country, herding people into concentration camps, raping women, burning down churches and destroying cities. I had just argued that we ought to embrace our enemies as God has embraced us in Christ. But can I embrace a centenic, the ultimate order, so to speak, the evil other? What would justify the embrace? Where would I draw the strength from? What, what would it do to my identity as a human being and as a croat? It took me a while to answer, though I immediately knew what I wanted to say. No, I cannot. But as a follower of Christ, I think I should be able to. He goes on to say his writings were based on that conversation. Volf also, um, Miroslav Volf also says in another one of his books, the difference between justice and forgiveness. To be just is to condemn the fault and because of the fault to condemn the doer as well, 
To forgive is to condemn the fault, but to spare the doer. That's what the forgiving God does. There's something utterly, utterly radical about the cross and the forgiveness that we've been seeing. Jesus has opened up the pathway to paradise. And this morning, he invites each and every one of us to come in there. Those who are extreme outsiders, those who we think are probably just a little bit on the outside, and those who think that they're insiders, and in reality are outsiders. Friends, this is the cross through Luke, about the lowly being exalted, about the exalted being humble. And on that day when it comes and Jesus returns, where will you sit? I'll leave that with you. Let me pray for us. Lord, it truly is the scandal of the cross, something just so hard to fathom that you would forgive even the worst of worst of criminals. Yet that's what you've done. And Jesus, that's what you call us to do, to forgive others, not to overlook the wrong, but to see that justice is meted by your Son upon the cross. And so, Lord, as we just live as people who've been resurrected into your image, I pray that we can have that radical forgiveness to understand the radical grace that was poured out upon us and to see that your desire is for the lowly to be exalted and for the proud to be humble. So, Lord, just let us live as people who are not proud. Let us live as people who want to live as you did by picking up our cross each day and following after you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.